Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Big Screen, not just the numbers, it's a sports podcast. Um, your movies review and discussion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I am Corbin Heller. And we are here today to talk about two more Oscar nominees. Uh, they are the um, films Women Talking and Triangle of Sadness. Uh, Corbin, where would you like to start? What's the difference? How long were you sitting on that one for? Um, about six seconds. Oh, nice. Yeah, that sounds like all the prep time that one took. <laughs> yeah. Um, Corbin, where would you like to start? A Mennonite village or a yacht? Um, let's start with the yacht. All right. Very well. Then we are talking about uh, Ruben Ostlin's new film, Triangle of Sadness, which was written and directed by, well, you fucking guessed it, Ruben Ostlund. Um, the film stars Tobias Torwind, Harris Dickinson, and Charlby Dean. Those are quite the names. Um, the film had an estimated budget of 10 million pal- or euros and a worldwide gross of 23 million dollars so that is uh that's certainly a success especially for the the relatively niche market that this film operates in um got to be the biggest return What's on the a niche? Austin film uh well it's a foreign production of like an art film so i would or not maybe not necessarily an art film but more of like a um it's a it's a it's it's a Swedish filmmaker in making his second English language film. I think it's relatively uh, lesser known filmmaker for the general audiences who would come out to this kind of movie. You know what I mean? Touche. Yeah, like everyone should go see Force Majeure, which is I think my favorite of Ruben Ostlund's recent works. Um, but there's a good chance most people have not seen Force Majeure, um, nope. which is a shame. Force Majeure is great. Anyway, uh, the film uh, we're talking about it because it is currently nominated for uh three Oscars, which I thought I brought up and I didn't. Uh, uh, best Motion Picture of the Year for Eric Hemendorf and Philip Bober. Best Original Screenplay for Ruben Ostland and Best Achievement in Directing for Ruben Ostland. Uh, the film is about a fashion model celebrity couple join an eventful cruise for the super rich. Um, I guess that's what it's about, kind of, yeah. Uh, Corin, do you want to start on this one or do you want to start on the next one? Um... I'll start here. Um, I guess technically this was more my pick than your pick. Um, I went into this full, like from the 30 seconds of teasers slash uh, stills that I saw from this, I was fully expecting a Woody Harrelson comedy. And after about, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes into this, you know, them being on the yacht, experiencing the, lavishes of life you know when you're gifted this kind of experience was getting serious white lotus vibes i don't know if you've seen white lotus yes um and kind of really put me in that kind of headspace that 
oh, I know something bad is going to happen to these wealthy people, you know, some sort of undertone of, boy, these guys are all kind of fucky and we're going to learn some lessons, but we're all going to walk away in the end, except for maybe one or two of them. Sure. I was fully, I don't know why, expecting a white lotus turn of events. Um, Really wasn't expecting the Captain Phillips crossover with uh what's the book uh what's the book with the flies lord of the flies lord of the flies thank you um <laughs> i i really don't know what to really think in the moment i really enjoyed kind of the path that they were going down with the quote-unquote lessons they were learning and, and being forced upon them about you know the levels of income equality and and the hierarchy of of the society that we live in by the end of it the, that final scene the final you know piece de resistance of like oh you were on an island resort the whole time all for nothing did she kill Charby Dean or Yaya? Um, all of that. I just, I don't, it almost left a sour taste in my mouth and I can't come to terms with why I feel that way because I don't feel like I was not, you know, it wasn't ham fisted. There was no sleight of hand with expectations and what was delivered. I just finished the film and just had a sour taste that I, I can't pinpoint. And I, I I don't expect you to feel the same way. And I, I don't expect you to be able to explain why I do feel that way. I'm just more confused than I am satisfied. And I felt like I was going to have a lot of satisfaction coming out of this. <laughs> uh, no, I definitely feel that. This was um, like much like you. I knew nothing going in. Uh, I knew that a yacht was involved so i figured this was going to be some kind of yacht comedy um what i liked about this movie is that i felt like i could never get ahead of it Very you know fair. so like the first it split up into thirds essentially the the beginning set i mean all movies are theoretically split up into thirds but this movie is quite literally split up into thirds um and so the the first portion of the film is um just I forget what they title it. It's like, but regard they, like, they all have um title cards to to some extent. And the first bit is uh it them. Was, Go ahead. No, sorry. It was uh the yacht, the island, and the yaya and whatever Harris Dickinson's character's name is. Carl. Yeah. Bummer, so th Bummer of the, a name. The yeah the the first bit is just yaya and Carl. And so I, I was like, all right, I know eventually they're going to make their way to a yacht. I figured it'd be a little bit quicker. And then the movie spends quite a bit of time showing, like it starts with this male modeling thing. I'm like, oh, is this going to be the movie? And it's like, oh, like not really. And then it's them fighting out some relatively more minor slight, which I enjoyed, you know, the kind of dissection of social norms and cues and whatnot. That's why Seinfeld and Kirby Enthusiasm are such popular shows. Um and I was like, oh, okay, so this will be the movie for a while. And then it's it's not. And then they get 
on the yacht and it's like oh okay well he's looking for an engagement ring and there's all these cruise members and these crew members are all these wacky people or or, or input into these wacky circumstances i should say so that's the movie and then it's not and you keep going down this route holes the film is constantly changing or not settling into the film you think it's going to be and i really enjoyed the fact that i i couldn't quite get comfortable in the setting or you know like you you really can't nestle into like ah oh, here we are in the movie you know what i mean we're we're, we're just when you think it's going to be a, a yacht movie, here comes a storm, here comes uh, food poisoning, and then just when you think it's that, here comes a grenade and pirates, and just when you think it's that, it's welcome to the island. Oh, also, the <laughs> island is actually a resort. That grenade bit was probably the cheesiest aspect of the film, but also, like, the one point where I was like, <laughs> good, good. That's, that is satisfying. Good. And I, I think I enjoyed the the writing and structure of the film more so than anything else because the messaging of the film is blunt as can be. Yeah. I mean, it is a shade more subtle than Don't Look Up, and that's not saying much of anything because Don't Look Up is as... I mean, as blunt as you can possibly be. So this I mean, is there was slightly more subtle than that movie. What, like a, a 15 minute section of this film where they are entirely focused on reading off quotes of Marxism and, and capitalism. Uh, just, oh, Russian capitalist, ah, oh, American socialist, ah, oh. 15 minutes later. Yeah, and then just there's like... Through. And then on the 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 beach, our our Russian capitalist is immediately transferring his his ideology over to communism when it can favor him. And it's like, yeah, yeah uh, not a hard thing. It, like talking about the messaging of the film almost feels pointless because it is so blunt. But I don't think, like this, my critic. This this is essentially our my our conversation about don't look up. Actually, now that I said it. Where it's like, I agree with everything that the movie was saying. It's just presented in such a stupid and boring way. Where it's like, yeah, the cartoonish villain is evil. No shit. Everyone would be rooting against that person. Whereas in this, the writing of the film allows you to kind of have a little bit more intrigue with everyone. And lets the audaciousness of a character's philosophies be borne out in a way that is, yes, very, very obvious and not hard to grasp. But at least a little bit more interesting than... And don't look up where it's like, we're just going to go to another planet. It's like, oh, cool. Nice. Um, yeah, I'm trying this to... This one doesn't I mean, have Meryl Streep being eaten by a bird. That That's true. Um, I, I'm trying to think of like, the best way to discuss the movie. Because I don't... I, would, I was thinking about this while I was watching it, of course. You know, like... Where in lies the intrigue in the film? I'll since you're thinking about that, I'll I'll start off with the question I've been dying to ask you. Lay it on me. Um, would you eat dirty muff for pretzels? No, I'd learn how yeah. to fish. Yeah, yeah. I I really uh, would like to counter that with I don't think that boy is willing to learn just about anything. 
Well, that's that's true. Yeah, or has the capability of it. He's a he's a male model. He is representing the vapidness of society. He was just such an upsetting person to follow. I I was quite frustrated and done with his shit almost immediately. God. I do think that there that what the film does well is like there's small moments of, of intrigue beyond the ham-fistedness of the plot, like the idea of the the first argument that happens in the film between Yaya and Carl, which is like Yaya doesn't reach out to pay for dinner, and Carl is like, "Why are you just assuming I'm going to pay?" And Yaya like plays dumb about it, and it ultimately leads on leads to a resolution in which Yaya is essentially saying. Like, yeah, I manipulate you because it's fun and that's what I do. But also, like, while I get paid more for being a female model, my lifespan in this career is also shorter than yours. So there is um, some degree of self-preservation in my cheapness and manipulation, which is kind of a nifty point. You know, it it it, it, it plays both sides of the gender dynamic that the film is is poking at which is to say like oh, i'm the man you always expect me to pay that's dumb and it's like oh that's a trite point you know like we've been talking about that forever and it gives you the other point of it which is to say like yeah i make more money than you like for how long you know and arguably is she making more money than you or is her compensation more than you filled with things that are not necessarily liquid such as a free cruise which is very nice and would be quite the you know monetary compensation if given the equivalent but you know her card is declined she's shown to be illiquid okay is this a different discussion to be had about you know not only the levels of compensation and the longevity of compensation but is it a quote unquote fair compensation if it's being gifted experiences for her to use to post on social media compared to, you know, something you can use to buy bread and pay for rent? Yeah. And it is also, you know, in part, a, a look at this type of career, right? modeling what is the shelf life and what do you what skills do you have that you come out of the career with when it's time for you to move on to something else you know there, there's been a couple of movies to talk about this with like dancing like Frances Ha is trying to is a better woman who's like I've only known dance and now I'm too old to do anything else but I have no other skills that is not dancing right that is a career with a very short shelf life uh, same thing with gymnastics um but here, Yaya makes the same point as to say, like, my career options are essentially to become a trophy wife. That's all I got. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, that's also like an interesting point about this. Um, it is also a, a, a classic gender dilemma, which is like men age into silver foxes and women age into obscurity. You know, mm. um, anyway, so that all that to lead us up to the boat. We get on the boat. And a lot happens on the boat. So maybe we just let's let's try to cherry pick some details because there's some sure. there's some class level pettiness, you know, with uh, Carl making an issue out of a shirtless employee and blah, blah, blah. The, the rah-rah nature of the um, 
the staff hyping themselves up before the meeting. Um, uh, boy, that relationship is about as unhealthy as it gets. Yeah. Uh, but we also meet our uh, our Russian capitalist who made his uh, his millions in fertilizer during the fall of the Berlin Wall, um, who ends up being a, a key figure throughout the rest of the film. And we also meet Woody Harrelson, who I kept waiting to be a bigger part of the movie, and he just yeah. was not, which I found to be hilarious. Um, so in the beginning part, it's like... It, the film is like slowly spreading out the social dynamics, right? So in the first part, it's just Carl and Yaya really. And then the second part, it's uh, a handful of the upper, these upper crust people. And you kind of learn that everyone on the boat, I mean, kind of blows, right? Like there's no yeah. one that we meet that is good. It's a good thought. Who... Maybe the uh, woman with the, who's, who the had the workers. stroke. I mean, of the, of the uh, yeah. attendants or, uh, uh passengers i guess is the better word yeah yeah i guess the, the paralyzed woman um we're not shown anything we're not given anything to corner her into that corner paint her into that corner um yeah i can't think of anyone else yeah because the the russian oligarch is is there praising the merits of Capitalism, while also acknowledging that how he was able to make his money was exceedingly fortuitous and a once in a lifetime opportunity, but choosing to ignore that, he's there with a mistress and a wife. You meet the couple who made their money off of weapons of war in England. You know, there's uh, people all over the place who who kind of blow. Uh, but anyway, all and it, it shows the the beginnings of the fucked up power dynamics. Part of which is being the Russian oligarch's wife. I forget if she was the wife or the mistress. I want to say she was the the wife yeah um convincing this the head of the staff to get everybody to go swimming which i think we would all universally say hey don't do that and the head chef downstairs is like if we do that this food will spoil and everyone will get food poisoning and they're like we don't care go <laughs> swimming well that leads to a okay. story and dinner being served in which everybody gets food poisoning, which leads to a much uh, more visceral scene than I was expecting. Not everyone. Mr. Hamburger and French fries was a okay. That's true. The value of an American palate. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I'm wanting to skip forward a little bit to talk about all the the the, the poo poo and the pee pee. But are are you? Was there anything before all that that you wanted to get into? I was really hoping to get more of the captain's backstory about, you know, his isolation in his cabin. It kind of felt like it was more of a like scheduling issue of not having him show face rather than like a lead into anything else. Like you can show him being an alcoholic much easier and quicker than just seclusion and, uh, you know, Oh, every time he pops out, he's drunk, blah, blah, blah. Like, I was expecting more. I was waiting for more. Up until the final scenes, I was expecting him to show up and have some exposition or, or anything like that. But uh, I was I was disappointed with his role. He was I... great in it. Don't get me wrong. It was just like I, I he deserved so much more. 
I I liked the choice of not having of representing his alcoholism as being partially well one of the disease, but also um, as a as a basically a show of indifference because part of why his character isn't coming out of his room is essentially to say like he's a figurehead. The boat's moving fine without him because he's not needed. But all these rich fucks need to feel like they're important by having a captain's dinner. And that's essentially the only reason he's here. Which I absolutely understand and agree with. Yeah. But I get it. You want to see is more Woody Harrelson, Harrelson yeah. needed no, for I that? Completely understand your point in that. I'm just saying for ignoring the fact it's Woody Harrelson. Right. I did right, like right, that right. choice. Um, Because if they had it be like a Denzel Washington, like... I'm at the wheel and I'm drunk. It's like, okay. Whereas this guy is very much so like, I'm an alcoholic because my life is meaningless. Right. I mean, if it was most any other A-list celebrity, I could totally understand it. I really fucking love Woody Harrelson. And 90% of why I was excited to watch this was because of him. Did you watch the scene where he was reading his book and be like, JFK, RFK, and Martin Luther King Jr. were all assassinated. And think to yourself, mm -hmm. how weird is that for you to read when your father was also an assassin? Listen, it wasn't necessarily a diary of his as much as uh, his father's uh, daily journal. For anyone who is unaware, uh, Woody Harrelson's father is a hitman. He is one of the few people who's parents are blue links on uh, Wikipedia where it's not like happy. His father uh, assassinated federal judge John H. Wood Jr. The first judge to be assassinated in the 20th century. Um, yes. Very famous hitman. It's hard to be a famous hitman. Hitman. Yeah. Well, he, uh, he persevered. He pulled himself up by his bootstraps. The uh, Locked, oh, loaded his gun, and made his own way into American history. R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. His spouse, Diane Lou Oswald. I am also staring at this as well and thinking that can't be. But he's also he's from Texas, where Lee Harvey Oswald yeah, is also from. Um, who is Woody Harrelson's mother? Yeah, that was his mother, Diane Oswald. Which means that there's an outside chance non zero Lee Harvey Oswald is his uncle, which is kind of amazing. Uh all right, anyway, that's for a, a different uh, I need their ancestry.com uh information right now. We're gonna unlock the FBI records on the JFK assassination to find out that it was actually Woody Harrelson. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. We wouldn't be that lucky. Wouldn't we though? That'd be so cool. <laughs> yeah. Let's go kill more presidents. That's that's the, the message I'm trying to send here. Um anywho. So all all of this, like I said, leads up to a big storm coming in. And this is the thing where I mean like you can never quite get ahead of it because like by the time the storm's coming in, you kind of forget for a moment that the chef was like, hey, all this food, this seafood is like time sensitive and will spoil and give everyone food poisoning. And so you kind of forget that. And you're like, oh, this is about to become like a, a Titanic Poseidon adventure kind of movie. 
um, where they have to like get out or some shit like that. And then it's like, no, they're all vomiting, but the staff is telling them to, hold, to eat hold, more. Hold on, hold on. Hold and you're like, oh, on. it's the rocking of hold the on. ocean. We have to go back. We have to go back. What? I googled it. Charles Harrelson confessed to being JFK's real assassin. I don't know if this is true, but I it is now uh, canon in my mind. You made apparently he admitted. Canon. Yeah, apparently he uh, tried to claim. Whatever, man. <laughs> this will be a post episode deep dive in the Heller household. I just found out. Yeah, I just found out what you're about to be doing for the rest of the year day <laughs> before the Super Bowl. Yeah, good for you. Um, no, I, please continue. No, it's all good. So, so then it becomes a a, a shit and vomit fest. The the scene where the woman is like down in her underwear, like on the floor of her mm-hmm. bathroom, trying to throw up into the toilet, but getting thrown side to side <laughs> is no. fucking hilarious. The the man sitting on the stairs. Yes, this is what I bring this up to. Yeah, I audibly started dry heaving on the couch. I I listen. I'm a guy who. I don't do well with feces, fecal matter. Um, I was cleaning the toilet today and the toilet brush broke off in the bowl and I just damn near had a mental breakdown trying to fish it out with my damn hands. Um, This was early in the morning before coffee, before, you know, mental processing. Like critical thinking was not all there this morning. Regardless, um, that, that nearly made me throw up on the couch. It was beautiful. It was a symphony of shit. <laughs> um, it was the shining, but with poop. Masterfully done. Like that, that, the clean, like if the ship didn't sink, right? How do you clean that? Dude, you don't. You don't. Like you it, do not. But that ship is so monumentally expensive. You can't total it. Oh, actually, by the way, a piece of trivia I know about this. Um, to add into the whole JFK um assassination thing, that yacht <laughs> is actually owned by the Onassis family. No shit. Shit indeed. And if you're sitting at home wondering who the fuck are the Onassises, um, Jackie O, uh JFK's oh. wife, it was Jackie Kennedy Onassis. The so, O is for Onassis. That yacht belongs to her family hey man good for them just uh just nuts to also consider the fact that woody harrelson was in there and his dad may or may not have killed <laughs> he should have totally left a note somewhere in that ship saying oh, hey man. we did it keep doing i it. was there um so anyway, it's a vomit symphony. I loved it because it was so unexpected, and it was you know such a sharp contrast against the the, the decadence. I loved seeing everybody in the kitchen or the, or the um dining hall trying not to shit and vomit and keep eating their meal because the facade of prestige was more mm-hmm. important than the fact that they were all dying internally. My favorite Everyone was, was like, "Oh, we must maintain the rigidity and the and the the high esteem of the evening, even though I have to poop." 
after the power goes out and one of the workers is going through the deck and, you know, kind of with a flashlight shining the light in everyone that's kind of in the aftermath of the event, just the thousand yard stairs, the essentially World War One documentary style of just these people have been through hell. The human element of that, of like, this is the, you know, the richest people in the world brought down to their absolute just most human form that they have not lived in likely in their entire lives. Um, I also enjoyed the fact that, of course, the the Russian man who did grow up likely in some level of poverty and ruin who made it, you know, through his shit selling and and whatnot at the end of the cold war was the only one able to really stomach anything and and make it through that i was wondering during the the drunk recitations in woody harrelson's office or bedroom or whatever it was i was wondering if i had recalled seeing um the russian dude eat anything do you remember if he ate anything um because I'm wondering if it's like, hold on, let me actually like pull up the film because I have famously remember. during the filming of African Queen, everybody on set got dysentery from drinking the water in Africa, uh, except for the film's director John Huston and the film's star Humphrey Bogart because they only drank whiskey. And I was sitting there thinking, like, is this essentially a African Queen situation where these two narrowly avoided the ravages of? Uh, food poisoning by just getting shit faced instead. Um, I don't think they are. Um, or I, I don't. I don't think they show him eating. It's only the wife. So I wonder if that's part of it too. But who's to say? Not a big point. So. Again, I'm expecting that to kind of be like the whole night and for there to be some kind of thing that needs to happen in the the morning to remedy the situation. And then you see an exterior shot of the boat and it's dawn and the seas have calmed and go, okay, so this isn't a big storm movie and it seems like everything's over with. But then the camera continues to pan back and you see Somali pirates there uh, and a hand grenade gets tossed into the the, uh, the I don't I know it's not a balcony, but I don't know what you would call it of of the the ship. Uh, the British couple picks it up and they get exploded, and then we get thrust into the final section of the film, which is on the island. Um, the island portion is where the film says, "So you just saw one power dynamic as a result of." Um, owning power and in that instance that power is dictated by money and here we're going to present to you a new power dynamic that is built upon um self-preservation skills but the key to this power is that it is the power that corrupts and your, your position amongst the ranks rather than owning anything it is stripped away the materialism of it to say it is about your is about the power, not the wealth or the objects. Um, and such we get um oh, what was her fucking name? The 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 
the woman in and it starts with an a uh, abigail abigail yeah yeah and so this becomes the tale of abigail um we've been talking about this one for a while and i do want to move on to the other one so yeah sure give me give me like your your take of the whole island section at a at a uh, you know 30,000 foot view and then we'll talk about the ending um of course it's it's very enjoyable to see all of these relatively horrible people just completely helpless with any semblance of well i think it's more of hey i know some of those skills so i'm better than those people uh, in this situation and that gives me great joy to see them flounder um <laughs> frankly i did enjoy abigail's rise to power and then said corruption of said power because hey you know what she was one of the people having to scrub that vomit out of the carpet earlier on i'm glad she got her 15 minutes of the spotlight you know i'm glad she got her little power trip before inevitable return to well we'll get to the end um the whole like i i enjoyed the russian uh finding his wife's body and immediately stripping him of all value crying but also shoving the jewelry in her, in her shoes yeah dude it was just like uh, uh clearly you have some sentimentality with this woman but you don't actually love this woman um and it was like a very real cry for a brief moment and he's like ah i'm over it i'm past it okay well that's a giant fucking ring and that's a very expensive necklace so i'm just gonna take these and go and then never show it like i don't know what he does with the body i assume he just left it there he does not seem like the kind of guy to dig a grave and bury her that is a let's see we'll get her later no big deal um Outside of that, enjoyed the Love Shack portion of it. Um, quite the fun. Love to see the complete degradation of their relationship. Um, can't imagine how I would feel in that situation. Wouldn't be good. But I am also significantly, uh, what would be the term, uh, more confident in the relationship I have with Quinn to where I don't think we would ever reach said point. Um I don't know. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, the, the, you know, I, I, I enjoyed many of the aspects of it. I thought it was, uh, I, I like that you're supposed to, I think in my viewing of it, I think you're supposed to look at Abigail and be like, she's being unfair and she's being unreasonable and people need these things to survive. And she shouldn't be such an asshole about it. Cause I think that's very much so what the film wants you to feel like she's she plays a she's a little bit stoic and she's a little bit curt at points but that's kind of the point because it's like yeah well people also need money in regular society you know like that's what buys food that's what buys shelter that's how you're able to afford living like she's not being any more of a dick than all of these wealthy fucks are too it's just that you can you don't you can remove the middleman of currency and go straight to the actual services that that currency provides or those necessities that that currency provides. 
and all of a sudden you can recognize immediately it's like oh well that's kind of mean it's like yeah well hoarding wealth is just as mean as hoarding food because it, mm-hmm. it that is what wealth ultimately is able to afford basic necessities required for human existence so i really you know it, the... again none of this is subtle but it, it is yes. i think fun and well done so the thought i had which will play a bit of devil's advocate here none of those people have ever had to budget out anything in their lives at least the russian probably did but he seems like the kind of guy who has completely lost that skill set without abigail kind of forced or not forced but with that iron grip on the leadership role as the only person who is able to continue survival um if she was not there hoarding said food, there is no doubt in my mind that it would be completely removed from the ecosystem that first night. There is no conservation of supplies, no conservation of water, oh, food, sure. and yeah. like it would have been completely destroyed. You're Granted, 100% right. That was never really something discussed in the film. Uh, and this doesn't really seem like the kind of movie where they would have subtly hid that in there. So I'm not sure that was the intent in any extent. Um, oh, no, I don't know. Because that's, that's essentially what the guys do with the, 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 the pretzel sticks. Right away, they find pretzel sticks and they're just like, fucking, we're going to eat all of them. Right. But them taking and consuming, I, that's, you know, is discussed. I don't think there was any discussion of like, hey, People don't eat these so that we can have food, you know, in like a week. It's just this is the food. I will ration it out as see fit or give it out as whatever. Um, Regardless, it was a a joy. There's also the, the, the point made about the gender dynamics of it all. Right. You know, in the beginning of the film, Yaya is saying to Carl how she has to be, uh, concerned or there there's a shelf life on her ability to uh, work and that you know the ultimate goal for her really based on her skill set is to become a, a a trophy wife which is exactly what carl's journey ends up being at the end of the film because he has no skills he is just pretty and so he settles into the only role he can really play which is trophy wife uh and Yaya is, you know, quite upset about that, understandably so. And I don't think the film is saying the film. I, I, I do like that it doesn't quite necessarily make too many right or wrong judgments when it comes to things outside of the the wealth aspect of it. It more so just presents it as with specific the gender stuff is like yeah, society builds it like this, you know. It mm, yeah. It, it is it is a systemic societal issue. It's not specific to these people. So, or, or, you know, the situation, if we flipped everything on its head, it would probably still be this way because the issue is power. Right. Um, yes, there is, there is that. Anyway, all this leads to, uh, Yaya being like, well, f- fuck this shit. Like, I, I, I can see that we're getting by, but I want to get out. So I'm going to go explore and see what I can see. Cause we don't know what we don't know. And Abigail's like, I'm going to kill you. So I'm going to come with. Because Abigail's like, I'm not giving up this this hot, sweet dick. So I'm just gonna push you off a it's cliff true. or something. Uh this leads uh, to the Josh, I would like around. to I would I would I would like to 
um, counter that. There's no way that was sweet dick at that point. That is dirty, stanky dick all the way. Sure, she's she's gonna gobble up that stank dick all day. <laughs> That's right, baby. Um, and so this leads them to you know moving around the the island where we end up discovering that it's actually part of a resort where it's just like the uninhabited part of a resort. We get a, a teaser of this when a man hawking probably fake jewelry and purses comes around to try to sell something. But the woman who is partially paralyzed and can only say one word is the one to see him and she can't communicate that to the others. So there is a, I'm sure some kind of finer point being made there about our inability to work with or understand or take the the efforts to decipher the the um communications of the disabled or differently abled but uh saving that for another conversation regardless with that newfound information abigail's like oh shit i really gotta murder yeah yeah because i am the queen of the castle over there eating fish and dick whenever i fucking want I cannot let this white bitch ruin this for me. I'm not going to go back to sip, sipping shit. Uh, and so she picks up a boulder, walks over to Yaya, who has her back turned on her, heaves it over her head as Yaya says, maybe you could be my assistant when we get back to regular society. And then we jump cut to Carl sprinting through the woods before the film cuts to black. So... Of that whole ending, I know you said it left you kind of sour, uh, but how do you, what do you think happened? Buddy? Oh, sorry, I muted myself. Um, I think he, she killed her. Um, I think everything that the film showed us up until that point, uh, critical thinking and forethought are the strong suit of no one. Um, and I don't think it was at any point trying to show us that power and standing is something that is voluntarily given up. Um, and I, I would not ever expect, uh, the final message to be anything but. So to that end, what do you think Carl was doing running? I think it was the salesman that showed up to their quote-unquote camp um, at the end of the film. I think uh, I think that was the a point of realization of like, oh, fuck, um, there are other people here. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's go handle that. Or so, clearly there's, there's something, you know, more to this and, and trying to warn them something like that. Yeah. I, I, I've been debating between, so first of all, I agree, um, with, with the, the beginning bit, I think Abigail kills Yaya. I, like you said, I don't, the movie doesn't give you any reason to think otherwise, like, Abigail is not treated well. We have not seen anybody who has had the position of power to any extent do anything other than abuse it and attempt to maintain it. So I don't know why it would suddenly lighten in this kind of way. Um, I had wondered the same thing. Like, all right, did Carl come across the jewel jewelry vendor 
or is he did he hear something because that's the other thing is like we get the impression it's very far away so my first thought was or my second thought was maybe maybe he heard someone scream and the running is like he's going to be making up his mind when he gets there like it's an opportunity you know and he's being opportunist about it like if he gets there and Abigail's dead and Yaga is alive it's like all right I'm on was always on your side, babe. Uh, always had your back, babe. Uh, but if Yaya's dead and Abigail's alive, it's like, oh, oh, always on your side, babe. Always had your back, babe. Um, like it doesn't, it doesn't quite matter. But uh, the the ending is a bit tough because it's also like, all right, but if he gets all the way there, will he not also notice that it's a resort? So I don't know. Well, if if someone was there that you know, was from outside the island, he would have to know it's a resort, right? Like if if he came across the jewel vendor. Oh, if 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 I see. The other thing I thought with the jewelry vendor though is like if you're there, then people do come out this way. Which means that even if Abigail does kill Yaya in this moment and go back and try to pretend that everything's okay, every now and then someone is going to come out here. And like, if the jewelry vendor comes out here, it must mean that they bring uh, patrons out here too. Otherwise, he would have no one to ever hawk his jewelry to. So eventually, right. this is going to come crashing down. But Which the show does not concern itself with that. Doesn't make a ton of sense to me because <clears throat> the only tidbit of information provided about how much time has passed is the facial hair growth of everyone on the island and that Russian grows a mean motherfucking beard and I do not understand how that is possible in anything other than like a month at least like it's like three four five inches of hair like that it's insane how long his beard is compared to you know what would be expected for how long they're able to survive there with the water and such that they have what if that resort is there and if people do go out to those beaches to the extent where it is a you know smart decision for that guy to go out and try and sell merchandise out there how how has this not resolved itself already? Yeah, it's it it is a it is a tough thing because I do get some you know you want some truly like unmolested parts of the island so that if you were to someone was you know in a foreign country you could be like oh we'll take you to a beautiful beach where uh, it feels very authentic you know that big buzzword for white people now very authentic beach there's no resort elements to it you can go hiking it feels like you're in a jungle so like to a certain extent i can understand why there wouldn't be any signs there of civilization and maybe that's a less desirable uh excursion so to, maybe to that extent but you'd still expect there to be like a road at some point base like basic amounts of exploration should have like when they found a donkey, they were like so excited to kill it. But my first thought was, aren't donkeys man-made? Like, doesn't that mean that there's people nearby? 
You know? Are donkeys man-made? I thought donkeys they were... were like a like we invented donkeys. I didn't I didn't think that donkeys were a wild species. Um it derives it's uh it's now it's just a domesticated its own species. Yeah. From Africa though. Like it's Yeah, but it's a it was what I'm saying. Like you wouldn't see a, a dairy cow in the wild. That's a domesticated form, like okay. a dairy cow. Yeah, yeah that's what I, that's what I mean. Uh, well, the African wild ass, or the African there are wild donkeys, right? Much in the same way that there are, are wild um, cows, but they are or wild boars, but they are different from their domesticated counterparts. Uh, sure, I, 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 don't, I was I under don't the think... impression that, yeah. generally speaking. If you see a donkey, it is a domesticated creature as opposed to a wild creature. I will, is, I will, I will completely surrender the point of finding a donkey on a deserted island is fucking insane and likely impossible. Right. I don't think not deserted. I think it is very clear that none of the people on this island have had any such experience. Like you and I are able to have this discussion with some semblance of understanding of origins and such like that i don't think anyone there is even capable of such a conversation it's like remember there was a story a couple months ago about a woman who was so proud of herself for having killed and skinned a wolf and then she posted pictures of it online and everyone's like ma'am that is just a dog (laughs) and it's like oh you're so fucking stupid like she she killed a husky and skinned it and was like i killed a wolf and everyone's like, no, that's like a friendly dog that probably came up to you expecting attention. That was someone's pet. Yeah, like you you killed a lovely animal because you didn't know the difference. And I think there's almost a little bit of that in here where it's like, you don't know what a wild animal is and what a domesticated animal is. Like they're treating they were treating the the donkey with so much fear when I don't think the donkey would have. It's not going to fucking bite you. Like maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think the donkey is going to be an aggressor off the rip. Uh, off the rip, no. That donkey will fucking bite you though. If you, I mean, if you if you throw a fucking rock at it, yeah, yeah, that donkey's gonna fight back. Uh, Yeah, got them chompas. All right, so we talked about this for 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 a while. Granted, there is literally many parts to it, so fair enough. Um. I guess let, let's let's move into ratings and reviews of it, unless you have any, any other finer points you wanted to bring up before we moved on to the next movie we have to talk about. I do not. Okay. Uh, you went first, so go first here, too. Um, I very much like uh, Don't Look Up. It is a very watchable and, and to an extent, enjoyable movie. Um, it's not going to... It's not a difficult watch. Um, it's something you can watch with just about anyone, and they will easily get the point and understand the message trying to be delivered. It's not going to upset you. It's not going to piss you off. It's just uh, kind of... It's it's f- something you will watch once, will not have negative feelings towards, won't ever need to watch it again, and we'll probably forget rather quickly, but um, three and a half. I'm, I'm settling in on three and a half too. 
Um, it's it's not a subtle movie. It is pretty fun. It's not the kind of movie I'd expect to be nominated for a Best Picture nomination, which I think is both good and bad. Um, it's good because I'd like to see the Academy nominate some more comedies. Um, but it also makes me watch this a little bit with a little bit higher expectation, um, which I think does the movie a slight disservice because it shouldn't. It's not quite good enough. Would would you strongly consider this a comedy? I would say that's the strong underpinning of the film is its attempts to be funny. Fair, yeah. Like it I, just, I don't know what else to classify it as. Yeah, but I think there most of the uh, it's a lot of like dry wit, kind of like barbs at society that I think, generally speaking, would be a comedy. Fair. Yeah. Anywho, uh, we will talk about it more when we get closer to the Oscars as we go through the Best Picture category and the other categories that this film is nominated in. In the meantime, let's hop on over to uh, Mennonite Community to talk about women talking. Uh, the film was written and directed by Sarah Poley. Uh, the screenplay credit also given to the original author of the book, uh, Miriam Toes or Taves. I'm honestly not sure. I've never heard anyone say it. Is it T O E W S? Yes. Taves. Yeah, I was going to say, in hockey, I know it's Taves, but I also, <laughs> I don't know if this woman pronounces it differently. So, fair, very fair. Yeah. Uh, the film stars Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, and Jesse Buckley. Uh, some other familiar faces, including uh, Francis McDormand and um, Rooney Mara. Uh, the film had a budget of, oh, I don't see it. Wait, oh, I thought I had it. Oh, no, I don't. I, I don't know what the budget was then, apparently. And it grossed uh, $3.7 million. I'm willing to bet it cost more than that. Um, just on salaries alone. But who's to say? Uh, the film's tagline is do nothing, stay and fight, leave. Uh, the three options presented in the film. Thoughts? Eh. Uh, what was that question? Thoughts on the film? On the tagline. Do nothing. Uh, Stay and fight, leave. Um, nah. frankly, it's more original than most of the ones we get, which I will give it credit for because of how low the bar usually is. Um, yeah, sure, yeah. Uh, we are talking about the film because it is currently nominated for two Oscars. It is nominated for Best Adaptive Screenplay for Sarah Poli and Best Motion Picture of the Year for Jeremy Kleiner, Dee Dee Gardner, and Francis McDormand, who served as a producer on the film, of course. Uh, the film is about... Oh, wow, the description starts with Do Nothing, Stay and Fight or Leave. Uh, in 2010, the women of an isolated religious community grapple with reconcil reconciling a brutal reality with their faith. Um, Corwin started with the last one, so I will start here. I was pretty excited about this movie. Um, I will say I am a, I'm a fan of um, Jesse Buckley. I'm a fan of a fan of Francis McDormand. I I like talky movies, um, and the subject matter and the heft of this film had me really interested. I have to say. I did not care for it. Um, I'm quite disappointed in its execution. 
I don't think it did a good job in handling the discourse of the film or of the, the subject matter. And I took some issue with its the representation within the film as well in a way that I found to be kind of distressing. Um, it's also a little bit just cringy. I mean, to start off, there it, it is a line from the book at the very end of the book, apparently, which is um, the, the the thing that's that's plastered over the beginning of the film. Uh, what is it? It's like from the... Uh, a story of pure female imagination or something like that, which is like, mm-hmm. fuck you. Why do we need that? You know, and it, it, I felt that way about many of the choices in the film. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it, this was such a winning idea that really did not land for me. Um, but I am curious to hear your thoughts, Corwin. I enjoyed the way that they I don't, I don't know how to put this best because I, I do share a lot of feelings with you that the actual uh, sorry my headphones are getting very tangled here uh, and unplugged um, I do very much enjoy how they have this difficult conversation and each of these relatively strong women are approaching it with very different points of view. And this is exactly how I would expect this level of conversation to go with incredibly strong opinions that most, if not all, are unwavering in their approach because of how strongly they feel towards it and resulting in a shouting match where they are repeating the same facts and opinions and thoughts louder and louder and louder until they are forced to make a decision amongst themselves and fall back to relatively the most reasonable, you know, compromise. Um, Matt and I and Ethan had a, a similar conversation yesterday regarding uh, the fairness of a long par three and the architecture of golf holes, which resulted in Matt and I just yelling the same rhetoric at each other for several minutes until Ethan was like, you realize you are doing this, right? Like you are just shouting back and forth at each other without having any conceivable advancement in what you're trying to say to each other. Um, outside of that, I agree with you. I thought it was almost a joke at how they represent these women. And there are strong performances. I don't necessarily think that they are good performances. Um, And I don't necessarily think that the way they portrayed this decision or this group of women is necessarily a positive light. Yeah. Um, I, I also, I, I want to start with one point to get Josh. out of the way in the beginning. Do you hear me? Corwin? Hi. Okay. So right at the top, because it's not worth constantly bringing up or waiting any farther in. 
I, if this is not a true story and you don't have, because it's not, and you don't have to tie it back to any semblance of reality and you're going to tell us from the beginning it is a story of pure female imagination under i guess the guys are presenting it as a feminist film it's weird that there's no one of color in the movie i don't have have you been to lancaster pennsylvania where no, no, no. I yeah. understand that generally speaking, Mennonite communities are very white. My point being it's it's not if, even very white. Like there are no, no I, minorities. I, I, I am aware of that. Okay. But okay. If, my point okay. being if you're if you're using a Mennonite community as a a a a stage for a microcosm of society to make a broader point, and you don't need to really tie this back into any sort of reality, we don't know what state this fucking thing takes place in none of these people are real right you're choosing them at that point to exclude black people to tie it back to or asian people or whatever to tie it back to a reality that is false there is no it doesn't exist so you don't have to stay faithful to anything you are literally making it up because that is what movies are so to make the conscious effort to have what is supposed to be a societal, a broader societal discussion stripped down into a, a small community level to make broader points and generalizations. It's weird to make the conscious decision to not have people of color in your movie. I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Um, I understand what you're saying. Uh, I think... Yes, these are all fictional characters, but in this, you know, idea of this being, you know, meant to be a isolated Amish community, Mennonite community. I think it is it like specifically Mennonite? Is that like listed? It's what it says in the description of the film. Then I don't I think they make a point of saying it anywhere, I don't believe, in the movie. I mean, there's no electricity or, or vehicles or anything like that so so nothing specifically Mennonite versus Amish but it's such a non-issue but like these if you are representing that community and that type of isolated community inside the US that's the only thing you're going to find like it's not something where it's you know, a, a small group of isolated women in, you know, New York City or uh, uh, what anywhere else in the, the country or the world, like you will have minority, natural minority representation inside those groups. You are never going to find that in any type of Amish or Mennonite community because it's by all means racist as fuck. Like they are not allowed in those communities. Um, if you wanted to have this be, you know, not specific to this community and you just want to have it be, you know, a, a larger worldview representation, yeah, those should absolutely be included. But in this very specific instance, this will probably be the only time where I am fine with the casting choices. 
I'm going to disagree with you because it's a made up nothing movie and you can do whatever you want and it doesn't matter. You you can do it. like of course like, cause, you cause can. We're gonna, yeah. I I want to say that at the beginning because when we get into how this town conducts itself, it doesn't make any sense. And so if we're already going to stay relatively untethered from anything that makes any kind of fucking sense and and the people aren't real the village isn't real we're not putting it in any type of real reality who cares it's 2023 put black people in your movies like the only if if, if you're going to say i made it up in regards to whether this plot is real but also no blacks because there aren't any in the communities that this not real movie is based on you're just kind of making excuses not to put black people in your movies anyway again i i didn't want to bring it up a bunch of times throughout the movie because it is a punishingly white movie but regardless move keeping it pushing so the idea of the film is essentially uh all of the women in the Mennonite community, which is a rather expansive community, a lot bigger than I was expecting it to be. Um, all of them are being sexually assaulted. All of them are being raped by seemingly all of the men in the community. And what the men had been doing was using cow tranquilizers on the women, raping them, and then later either in the days or weeks that followed saying that they had been attacked by evil spirits or Satan or devils, I should say. Um, and that has uh, been the explanation for why they have their kids eventually or any other um, birthing issues or uh, um, what I'm looking for. Uh, female imagination. No, um, that was a word I'm looking for. I can't think of it. It doesn't matter. Uh, has has this story been adapted into any other films? Because not that I'm aware. It feels of. familiar. I don't think I read the book. So, how do you feel about the and that is dumped on you in about the first two minutes of the movie, right? We 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 get into the the beginnings of it very very quickly. Uh, essentially, the the women discover that this is a lie when one of the women isn't fully affected by the cow tranquilizer, uh, beats her attacker back, locks him in a stable, uh, and then, you know, he gets taken away by the police the next day. Um, so a, a lot going on in the beginning. How did you feel about the setup of this movie? Um, it felt rushed and i don't think it was necessarily clear um granted i will say that with the caveat of the method in which i uh legally and responsibly watched this film at home without buying a theater ticket um was not the easiest to follow especially early on um I don't think they did a great job expressing the expressing what they were, you know, the actual incident um, very clearly. I had to rewind a couple times to try and get the 
make sure I understood all of what they presented. Um, Cause it just felt like they were giving you this big exposition to start to get you up to speed, but only gave you like 75% of the information you needed rather than just keeping you up to, sp- or, you know, getting you up to speed and then diving into the conversation. It was, here's most of the information or some of the information and you're just going to have to find context along the way, which don't get me wrong is commonly done in most films. I just don't think this was the best, um, the best story to do it with, because it almost felt like it took away from the, the heaviness of what was done and, you know, what they were discussing when you genuinely didn't know what it was that was being discussed because at first you know the first time i i watched through it it was oh she got her period it it didn't look like bruising it just like oh shit like that someone is you know going through that for the first time that seems weird that a society that has had women living in it openly for all of these years would have such a weird reaction to something that happens to every woman um and it, I had to go back and rewatch to be like, oh, this is a very, very different level of discussion. I will also say that my my issue with the setup of the film is that it is it it makes it tougher to fully buy on board to the remainder of the film because so I I felt like I never or I was constantly having to try to understand what kind of society this was this was taking place in. Right. Because when when you say all of the men are raping all of the women, I'm like, oh, okay. So this is a marriageless society where the men are essentially keeping these women as as slaves of a certain kind. Right. They are below second class citizens. They are being used as brooding cattle or breeding cattle, I should say, Um like they are on the outskirts of society being used as sexual objects because in a world in which marriage exists and you have that power dynamic, I don't even mean from a love perspective, like ignore that entirely marriage in terms of the old school sense of possession. Why would a man allow, I'm I'm speaking in this frame of thinking, this is not my belief, but why would a man allow his property of his wife to get fucked by the whole town and then opt to raise that kid knowing it's basically it's like not going to be his. And so that's where I thought we were coming from. And then you find out later on in the film, like, no, no, no. All of these women are married. All of them have husbands and their husbands are amongst the ones doing this. Which begs the question of like, well, then why don't the men also take issue with what's happening? You know what I mean? Like, there's not enough information for how this has gotten to the position that it is, you know? Like, when when you deal with a Mm -hmm. film that deals with like gang violence or something like that, like, there are the people within the community that are feeling the, the negative effects that aren't just the ones being robbed or having their stores robbed or whatever you know there are the the people who are also being affected from it 
affected by it in a communal sense, you know, like though that's my neighbor who got mugged. That's my deli that, that got knocked over, you know, right. it doesn't, there's a solidarity to it that says, yeah, keep fucking my wife so I can keep raising these kids. Like the one woman said I had 12, 13 kids. And the assumption there is that like most of them weren't my husband's and we're, okay, we're okay with that. It, it's, it's a very bizarre setup that I think is glossed over so fast to get to the discussion portion of it, which to a certain extent I understand, but it all, it, it lessens the discussion element because it makes it so like, why? Like if there's no reason to stay, why stay? Um, which brings us to the religious part of it. Right? Yeah. That's where I was going to go. Um, did you I think am not this was Christianity religious. at first? I didn't get that vibe until they said a prayer to Jesus. Um, I know the Amish and Mennonites are a sect of Christianity to an extent. I don't. I'm not a overly religious person. I don't know the minutia of it, but yeah, I, I kind of knew it was within that umbrella. When when it starts off with saying that it's a story of female imagination, I I was under I was trying to figure out oh, oh okay so how untethered is this you know how also how new was expecting is this? that like yeah yes. like I was expecting like okay like are we getting like ghosts are we getting like straight up fairy tale level shit like I well, understand and- the reasoning of why the men would say oh it's untethered female imagination but like you said like throwing that header in there really takes you out of the film yeah oh oh, sorry one other thing for about the setup just real quick before we move on too far um out of a a show of unity all of the men go into the nearby city to bail out the one man. I have. I don't think it was one man. I think it was like a whole group of dudes that they had in that barn. Oh, was it multiple guys? I thought it was one. Yeah, guy. they caught the one guy, and the one guy named "quote unquote" accomplices or other guys who have done it. And that was part of our discussion of like, well, we caught the one dude, but you know. He could be lying about all the other guys and they could be innocent. And they had that whole discussion. But yeah, no, like when they had all of those dudes locked up in that barn, it was, you know, I thought it was know, one like a man. dozen dudes. Well, so this this is I, so I have several problems, even that being to the side one who called the police and how. I imagine some dude just rode out there on a horse. OK, so. Why isn't that guy back with the women helping them make decisions? You know what I mean? Like, if there are offshoots from this ideology. Oh, oh, because it's not that they called the police to have the men arrested. It was them being taken in, quote unquote, for their own protection. They did say that. Because the woman attacked him. They had to bail him out. Yeah, but the the statement that they made in the... Uh, opening scene of the film that opening setup was that they were taken in for their own protection i don't know if that's i didn't get that the honest truth or if that was you know quote unquote female imagination so Uh, then my other problem with this then is like 
all of the men go, where do they stay? Do they camp out? Where can you camp out in a city? Do they have to get hotels? How how do they afford that? What hotel do they go to? Like so and then they take all the, their their horses and shit you'd imagine. So how are there still what? horses for the for the women's exodus out of the the camp? It doesn't True. Why would you need that much that much like wagons and 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 tr- ability to travel? Uh, it, it, so when they they talked about the woman getting her daughter antibiotics, yeah, she had a. She said it was a thing. a day and a half each way to get it. I have to imagine if the men are, you know, yeah, I feel like they would take a buggy of some kind, just kind of everyone piling in. But but they showed how many women was was in the village alone. And yeah, it was a good like five hundred, eight hundred women. Like yeah, where where do they all stay? Because they didn't say they were going to. They said they were going to a city. Unless they're going in, getting them, leaving, and it is just that yeah, they they stayed far. overnight. Yeah, dude, I don't know, but that could because, just be because how the long one the guy is no, because the one guy came back early. Remember, um, Jesse Buckley's oh, husband. Yeah. Because that was my thought too. Like, oh, they, maybe they are moving the whole time, but that that one guy, and that was stupid too. So all the guys are going, but they didn't, didn't make any bring. Sense. They, they didn't bring all of their money, so they brought. They sent one guy back home to get the rest of the money, but then he spent the night at home to beat up his wife, and then he was going to go back with the rest of the money the next morning. That doesn't make any sense. Because my issue with it, and I'm going to cut way to the end, just real quick. Please, my issue like, with it was when that part specifically when jesse buckley's husband comes home all of the women are like fuck all of the discussion we just had who cares we need to make a decision now let's just leave oh okay and it's a weird moment because you're almost taking the agency away from the women in the decision making and instead making it a panic move or, or making the catalyst for the decision be out of some type of panic based on the men. And I was kind of disappointed in that. I'm like, these women have had all of this conversation, weighing all of these various aspects, some of which I found more impactful than others. And then the second a man shows up, they're like, ah, well, now we got to make our choice. And I, I do get that there is that rush because the men, all of the men are expected back home at some point. Within the next handful of hours, but it, it seemed kind of, I don't know, it's it seemed kind of self defeating to have that be the, the inflection point for the ultimate decision making. What yeah. do you think? Uh, while watching it, it just kind of felt like, oh, there needs to be something to kind of push this along, because they just seem to be at each other's throats and and aren't. They're gonna argue until the deadline no matter what like they could be there arguing for days and not getting anywhere um so i i know the whole him coming home was just a way to force their hand storytelling was uh, it was terribly explained yeah well i mean that's a lot of the movie um a big Touché. big big chunk of the movie Sorry, were you about to say something? No, I was not. Okay. Um, and I, I have a couple. I have a I have several gripes with, with 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 it. All right, let me start with a really petty one, if I may. Um, 
Why is Jesse Buckley have her Irish accent? I don't know. I honestly didn't even notice that much. She has her regular, regular ass Irish accent this whole fucking movie. And so I'm like, oh. Well, if she came here from Ireland, she should have a lot more answers to these ladies' questions. And if her parents are Irish and she was born there, she probably shouldn't have this accent because I know plenty of people whose parents have thick accents because they came from other countries and none of those people have accents on their own. And then I was like, yeah. uh, well, all right, maybe that's just the her situation. I'll try to accept it. And then you find out that one of the old ladies in the barn was her mother. And she had clearly not come from Ireland because she didn't know shit about the outside world either. Which is like, okay, so then only half of your your accent is impossible in this context. And based upon what the movie is trying to do with this uncertainty about geography and about how to subsist on your own, it is actually a little bit defeating to have an, an outside accent because it makes it harder to believe that you don't know what's up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like I said, this I think was it's just lazy filmmaking. Film. Yeah, it's uh, just, it, just it, whatever. It, like, there's no world where she immigrates from Ireland in the first place. Like, you can't really join these communities. It's something you're born into. Um, they don't really allow outsiders to be a part of it. Um, it's just fucking... I don't know if it's lazy filmmaking or just pure apathy towards um like putting value towards that aspect of it but yeah it's just it's whatever i found it odd it's not nearly as egregious as like russell crowe and, and robin hood or, or some of the others that we've seen but it doesn't make any fucking sense again a petty complaint i'm aware um i didn't get in the beginning at the start of their deliberations why they were discussing forgiveness. Because when they first start the discourse over what do we do, right? So essentially a, a giant vote happens and they use pictures because all of the women are illiterate, which is also uh, just seems impossible, but whatever. Um, especially with how like lucid this conversation is and, and how like erudite everyone's conver everyone's uh, ability to, to um, elucidate their points are it seems wild to assume that these women are also fucking illiterate but whatever uh so they have a vote the vote is between staying and doing nothing uh staying and fighting and leaving and basically no one picks do nothing so the options presented before them are stay and fight or leave but it's weird because the beginning of the debate within the smaller minion of women is centers partially around forgiving the men which I found to be very odd because we've already eliminated that as an option and so to use it as a possibility felt disrespectful towards the voting process um, generally speaking about I don't know any, any of the Josh. that or any of the other options uh, did you have any thoughts? Uh, yeah, uneducated people not valuing uh, or respecting the entire voting process is about as American as it gets. I don't know what you want from us. That is a staple of Americana. You're not wrong. 
again, I don't I don't have a, an actual answer for you. It's not really something that's explanatory. It's just uh have to accept it as what's put in front of us. I sure. That is a, a shrug of the shoulders and just sure. Uh, I have no further insight for you. Can't explain it. So really, the the conversations, I guess, end up hinging upon this idea of the religious part of it, right? Because they go back on for, back and forth on these like totalities, which are so stupid. And the women in the movie keep calling it stupid. And as if you listen to this podcast for a bit, you know, this is a pet peeve of mine. If like if it's dumb and the characters are also calling it dumb, then maybe it's too stupid to include in your fucking movie. If saying leaving somewhere also means we're going somewhere new is stupid to the people in the movie, and I think it's stupid, why did you put it in your movie? It is dumb. Congratulations. The ability to recognize it in your own screenwriting is not impressive, but whatever. Um, so it comes down to the religious part of it. And one of the women very early on makes the point of, if we're assuming that God can find us here, why would we assume God can't find us anywhere else? And to me, it's like, well, yeah, that should not be the entirety of this discussion. Right. Um, no, because writing a functional theological script is much harder than just writing what uh, we got. So, of course, that wouldn't make sense. Because it it appears that that's really the crux of it. I, you know, the women seem relatively accepting of other places outside of the religious context pretty easily, I would say. It really comes down to, are we okay with leaving all the men? And are we okay with leaving our religion? And it's like, okay, leave the men part out of it. It seems like the real sticking point is the religion up until we get to like the ages of the kids thing, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um but they 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 don't they keep hopping back and forth these kind of more pointless talking points like well if we go somewhere new we are somewhere new and if we go somewhere new we are not here it's like fuck you good 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 point thank you for that um i do like the what you brought up about the the age of the kids discussion and, and what that brought about you can dive into your thoughts i just i thought it was extremely ironic that probably the most well thought out and uh the the one part of this that truly made me think on my own and trying to develop my own opinion was the only opinion delivered by a man in the film which i just thought was like oh that's how do you not see that like i get he's the one that went to and received a higher education, but like, come on, are you missing your own point? Or is this a, ah, kind of moment? I also thought that was kind of dumb. Cause it's like, why are you asking, asking August? Like these are your sons, right? So why do you need August's opinion on how to describe your fucking kids? It, it felt the inclusion of August at various points I found to be annoying because I I'm here because I wanted to hear these women's opinions. I don't give a fuck what this guy thinks. And it's it was kind of odd that the film kept turning to him for some answers every now and then. Cause I'm like, I, I don't give a, I don't give a shit. And I also 
I found the inclusion of his character pretty weird too, because I kept trying to figure out what time, what era this was in, because I didn't know it was 2010 until the census guy came around. And when August said he had a degree from a college, but all that we got of his higher education was like, did you know about this kind of butterfly? I'm like, oh, is this like the 40s when college was a series of fun facts? Because this man has represented a college degree in absolutely no fucking way. Nor is he chiming in to answer any questions about the outside world, which if he is going to be contributing to this conversation, that would be how you do it. You'd be like, well, I've been to at least one other fucking place and know a little bit how the world works. And instead, he's just like, I know stuff about moths. I don't know. I don't know, Josh. I, the, the crux of this entire argument is I don't know why they made the choices they made. I, I also... What are you... What do you think... What do you take away from it at the end of the day? Uh, Boy, that's... That's a, that's a very interesting question because I don't think I took anything away to start um it is at you know 30,000 feet it is a nice story of women without agency choosing it upon amongst themselves to let go of those shackles and finding it themselves but the fact of the matter is it's an hour and 38 minutes of dissecting that decision, which really is better viewed because of the quality of the conversation from 30,000 feet. And I, after watching the conversation for an hour and 38 minutes, I don't know what my takeaway is. I really don't. I think I, think I, I, think I would have more of a takeaway only reading the synopsis than physically watching it. Well, and I, I think that's part of the problem of the brutality that the film employs because we're talking about something very severe, you know, like mass rape. And it, the women are certainly trying to gather their druthers to form a new society, which it almost feels like, yeah, no shit. And maybe this is because I have such a harsh feeling towards the Christian aspect of this film. It so doesn't resonate with me that leaving seems to be the most painfully obvious choice. Uh, that it, it loses some of what should be the the point of it. And not to say that it lacks the difficulty of it, but it it's that the difficulties that they attach to it end up usually getting dismissed so readily. And it keeps getting tied back to something I don't think bears much weight in modern society, which is, will Jesus be able to find us? Like, they talk about being able to move on from their physical location, fine. Move on from their husbands, fine. 
move uh take on new roles in society pretty fine like all of the things i think would be more interesting who are we without men who are we with each other how do we, how are we going to structure our society exclusive of the men and where it's just us who do we give control to how do we learn how to read so that we can be better uh partitioners of education to our daughters and to any of the young men that come with us much more interesting conversations that, that have more bearing and, and insight onto the self-determination of these women and instead they keep getting bogged down in where is jesus gonna find us and it's like fuck you i don't give a shit you know what i mean like the takeaway at the end of it is lame it's like yeah don't stay there oh good you left nice yeah yeah. If Santa can find you, Jesus can find you. I don't I'm going ahead. I'm going to guess Santa that the Mennonites don't have resources. Santa Claus. I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, there's one other character I wanted to bring up specifically because I wanted your opinion on this as well. And that is the, the trans character that is in the film. Uh, what was his name? Shit. Uh, Melvin. Melvin's kind of a weird character in the movie because they he's in a field playing with the kids and the movie's just like, you know who's over there? Melvin. He doesn't talk to adults. He only talks to kids. Yep. I was um I'll be honest, I don't get Melvin. I don't get their character. Um I was utterly shocked that a society that targets drugs and rapes women as openly as you know harvesting crops yet is completely universally accepting of a trans man um i just i do not comprehend uh that aspect of it and in turn what melvin is actually even representing as a part of their society je ne comprends pas what i didn't like about it is i think the film also incidentally downplays being trans in kind of a disrespectful way from my read of it because all the women are basically like yeah, that's Melvin. He's not really a guy, though, so it's cool. You know what I mean? Like, which that's that seems to be the wrong way to read that, right? Like, it, it it's like they're trying to be progressive by being like, you've got a trans character and everyone's cool with it. But in the reading of this film where there is like all the men are terrible and it seems to be because there is a power dynamic that allows all the men who are accepted by the community to be bad in that way. And we're saying that Melvin has, like you said, weirdly just kind of been accepted in this relatively conservative and stringent movement as a man. Shouldn't that also warrant some questioning of his eventual motives or, or his ability for corruption? You know what I mean? Like if we're, if men is being a placeholder for uh, the power of, the elite or the the not elites the wrong word but you know like the those who hold all the power in society and melvin has joined those ranks if you're going to be treating 
the trans character with the, I think, fullness that we understand uh, transitioning to, to have, shouldn't there be some more question around it other than just being like, well, Melvin's not really that much of a guy, so like it's cool. So basically, hey. Melvin is just uh, in their eyes uh, cosplaying as a man compared to actually being a man. I mean, that's kind of how it it felt, right? Like they're so dismissive of Melvin's masculinity, but not in a way where they're like, "Oh, well, Melvin's still Melvin's dead name," you know, Melvin's still a, a girl. They're, they're dismissive of it, and it's like. Yeah, well, like, we accept that he's a man, but like, he's not really a man. <laughs> I don't know. It just felt like such an odd, such an odd character choice. I agree. I I don't know where it, truly like where he was intended to fit in the storyline. I just don't. Because, like you said, he also like isn't. I don't think he's supposed to bring out any additional coloring of how the men are viewed. So yeah, it that doesn't make so anyway, I guess let's go ahead and skip to the end. Because I can sit here. What I like about talkie movies is that they bring about there's lots of room for discussion around some of the philosophizing gets that gets brought up. And to that effect, this film does quite a bit of that. My problem is with the poor use of logic and the poor crafting of this world that I think the film ultimately has, which is wild because this is nominated for best screenplay. Anywho, let's get to the end. Uh, and then we can talk about the final ratings and reviews i guess so the film ends with jesse buckley's husband coming home and they're like ah fuck we gotta make a choice let's leave yeah yeah leave 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 go and tell all the women we're leaving tomorrow around sunrise and everyone runs away jesse buckley's mom's like don't go home to him he's gonna beat you and jesse buckley's like i gotta take one for the team ma and then gets her shit rocked uh, then the next day, that was the most predictable thing in the world, right? Like oh we all my knew. God, of course, absolutely. There was no way that wasn't happening. Yeah. Also, what did you think of like August crying constantly, running back and forth in the the hay, uh, the hay lift thing? Like, oh, let me get you the meeting notes. Oh, oh let me give you the list. Yeah. Oh, let me give you the gun. So you're saying if she didn't happen to be there, you would have forgotten everything you had intended to do that entire time? Yeah, it's fucking nonsense. <laughs> Absolute fucking nonsense. Uh, I thought he was going to kill himself. Yeah, I really wish he did. Uh, anyway. Ooh, tough. Uh, and then the women leave, and the movie ends. Yeah. What did you think of the ending? Um... I and ironically really enjoyed the ending because it meant the movie was over. <laughs> I I have no strong feeling toward it. I mean, I don't know what I was meant to, you know, like what truly strong tutorial, you know, reaction I was supposed to have to them making a decision that seemingly was the only plausible option. And I just I I had a tough time having a strong positive opinion towards any one of the women. And uh, I don't know, man. I, I definitely did not have strong opinions about them leaving yet. Yeah, it's a movie I kept wanting to like. I, like at every phase, I kept wanting to enjoy this movie. Like this, this was a movie that 
has so many things in it that are like signs that I will like this movie. You know what I mean? I'm I absolutely like kept like at the end. I'm I'm kept being like, okay, what last minute thing is going to be in here that's going to like really just hit the nail on the head for me here, and it just never comes. Like I was really looking forward to, like you said, like a very strong discussion on a very serious topic, and by all means. It was given every opportunity to do so, and just it really just fell short. It there also is this weird beat at the end where um, the woman who who captures her attackers in the beginning, um, solemn, um, mm-hmm. tranquilizes her own son because he didn't want to go with them, <laughs> so she tranquilizes him to bring him with them. Which also happens like so late and so close to the end of the movie that like I didn't have, I didn't have the ability to be like I don't know what, what the do, fuck. Yeah, what do you take away from that? You know Is what I mean. Is this not like? I don't know. I really don't know. I saw it and it was like you knew it was the end of the movie, and she was such like an arguably outrageous character to begin with. It was just like a. Okay, we're just going to move past this and just that, of course, is something that happens. A fucking alrighty, dude. It's like, I don't know if this is supposed to be like uh, something like we just said with Triangle of Sadness, like power corrupts regardless of when the roles reverse. And this is her exercising a power dynamic that she herself has had to suffer through. Uh, or if it's saying um, that you know, society breeds these types of issues and no one is immune for them from them, or women can force the change they want to see in the world. Like there's so much that that could mean, but the movie also doesn't give you any opportunity to understand it or dissect. Of course, it. yeah, first up. Anyway, uh, let's get into final ratings and reviews. I, you start on the last one, so I'll start on this one. Um, not not a not a fan not a fan we didn't talk about the kid characters but i thought that the little girls in this movie their roles were like so bad i think the the kids themselves were totally fine but their the way they were written was just garbage um i liked how the film was shot and i, I quite like jesse buckley even though i found her accent so distracting in this film i and she does a good American accent. She did a very good American accent in I, um, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but like with how much strong imagery is in the film and how severe the consequences of the discussion are, I think it borrows so heavily on deep trauma without giving much back. And to that effect, I find it very disconcerting. Because I don't think this film has any of the... I don't think it carries the weight it puts on its shoulders very well at all. Um, yeah. I, uh, I'll i give it two and a half out of five. Um, yeah. Uh, I was between... I. My gut 
initially was a two. My brain says that there is enough of a discussion to be had where it, in all likelihood, warrants a two and a half. Uh, I'm going to give it a two. Totally fair. I mean, yeah. also to be pointed out, you got two straight white dudes talking about this shit. You, you know, yeah. like it. there are, I'm sure, are finer points that we are missing and uh, experiences that we do not have that might better color these discussions. So, you know, take all of it with a massive grain of salt in order the recognition that we might be missing key elements as uh, viewers. But regardless, uh, yeah. All right. Then uh, let's move on to next week's picks uh we are still churning away at oscars picks we have picked we have watched now all of the films in the best picture category so we're now trying to tidy up some of the other nominations uh our other films nominated in categories other than best picture and so to that effect uh we are next going to be watching the whale which is currently nominated for best lead actor for brendan frazier and best supporting actress for hong chow and uh, Living, which is currently nominated for Best Lead Actor for Bill Nye and uh, Best Adapted Screenplay. Yes, the science guy. So uh, that's The Whale and Living. Check, check them out. Uh, Corwin, anything else before we get out of here? Um, no. All right. Well, in that case, if you'd like to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Big Screen Juice. If you'd like to send emails to the show, you can do so at juiceinthebigscreen at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you follow myself on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. And uh, until next time, y'all have a good one. Before we go, um, we've done hundreds of episodes at this point across both podcasts. No one's ever followed me. Not one. Why? Is it because <laughs> no one's listening? Because you don't like what I have to say? It's really because we don't post on Twitter. <laughs> Could not tell you the last time I tweeted. Yeah, that that's that's the that's the real issue. Is that man <laughs> I don't post shit. I, I look at other people tweeting on Twitter and I'm like, I can fucking make those tweets. Like they're not even that great and they're getting the comments and replies and shit. And then I think to myself, well then you fucking tweet something out, you dick and I'm like, I don't Anyway, all right, let's get out of here. Bye.